American Hammers Radio with Tex and Liam from the Fresno Irons. Welcome into another episode of American Hammers Radio. This is season two, episode 11. I am your host, Tex of the Fresno Irons, and joined as always by the only reason that all of you listen, the man himself, the beard that my beard envies, the bearded brethren, Liam Bright. Liam, how are you this evening? Oh, I'm fantastic. And I love the fact that now we are officially bearded bastards in claret and blue. Because uh, instead of me just having, you know, the nice little tight uh, Adam Levine-esque facial scruff, now I am gone full winter beard, a la the Tex. <laughs> let's, let's be honest. We had to get you out of your Adam Levine stage. I mean, you know, that it's it's a... It's an easy stage to fall into because, you know, your wife probably likes him just like every other girl likes him. But we had to get you out of that. We had to bring you over to the real bearded brethren that is the bearded bastards of West Ham United that we're starting right now tonight. You know, maybe shoot, we should make a T-shirt. There we go. I, I would think so. The only problem is, is now I have transitioned from Adam Levine and now I look more like Paul Rudd, but not like, uh, you know, Ant-Man, totally fit, good looking Paul Rudd, more like this is 40 Paul Rudd. Touche, touche. But nonetheless, <laughs> Paul Rudd doesn't age. We all know he's a vampire. So that's, that's still a, a good shout there because I mean, you're going to live forever, Liam. You're going to live I'll take forever. It. I'll take it. Well, as you know, we missed last week, and that's uh, 100% on to scheduling conflicts. So, obviously, uh, a couple weeks ago, West Ham United found a way to win against Fulham 1-0. Wasn't a ton to talk about, wasn't a ton to get excited about in that game. So, we're going to go ahead and just focus on this last game, which had huge implications coming in. West Ham knew, with a win, they could slingshot all the way up to fifth place in the table. Last time we were that high, Liam, Slavin Bilic was roaming the touchline back in 2015 for West Ham United, and we had a man named Dimitri Payet wrecking havoc on the pitch. Wouldn't you know it? There's no Dimitri Payet, no Slavin Bilic, yet West Ham United come into a game with an opportunity to slingshot to fifth, and they looked like they were ready for it. Within a first three minutes of the game, West Ham United gets a corner, and Angel Agbana slams it in untouched, coming in on that set piece, gives West Ham a 1-0 lead. Well, Liam, after that, it was pretty much all Aston Villa. So we started with a great um, start. Jack Grealish gets the ball in the 25th minute, untouched. Nobody touches him. Then he shoots a shot, and wouldn't you know it, off Angel Agbana's foot, it goes in to make the game 1-1. to West Ham United on the back foot the remainder of the half, and we were calling for it. We actually had a chance to watch the game together for once and calling hey. for substitutions that needed to happen at half. And wouldn't you know it, I'm shocked to say this, our boy, David Moyes, the man I shit on more than anybody, made halftime adjustments and brought on two substitutions. He brings on Saeed Ben Harama along with Alaire Seba Halaire, as the as the boys are calling him. Um, I didn't agree with taking off Mikel Antonio, but they do, and they also take off. Um, I can't remember Masuaku. Yeah, Arthur Masuaku comes off. For Saeed Ben Harama, and within a minute, that pays dividends. Saeed Ben Harama gets it in, and then the 46th minute puts in a short little cross, and Jared Bowen 
flicks it on into the far corner of the net, and then West Ham United are up 2-1. And I'm ecstatic. I'm thinking, okay, we got the game. And then it started. It was the (laughs) massive trend of ugly, muddy play from Aston Villa, the constant, anytime you touch me, I'm going to go down to draw a foul, and a referee that goes, well, he went down, it must be a foul, Um, constantly um, mudding it up, and then a huge moment for West Ham United where they give up and concede a penalty. It was touchy at best. Um, I don't necessarily agree with it. I think by the letter of the law, we have to admit that Declan Rice did grab the jersey of the player, but that happens all the time. He let go. No other contact. The player goes down. When you, Here's what I want to point out, Liam. When you're getting your jersey pulled, you don't fall forward. That's yeah. all That's all I'm going to say. And obviously, he awards, him, uh, awards the penalty to Aston Villa, and you know justice was served as Ollie Watkins, their their player that's doing everything right now for them outside of Jack Grealish, um, shoots the uh, pin and hits it off the crossbar. West Ham United able to survive that, even though the ball never lies. You, it's a beautiful thing to see that justice that that fate served justice for us there. Um, yep. No more than ten minutes later, West Ham looks like they conceded the tying goal to make it two two. And we go to VAR and Liam, let me ask you right now, when it went to VAR, was there any doubt in your mind it was going to stand? No, honestly, as soon as they went to VAR, I I legitimately thought that this was going to get chalked off. I was like, there's, there's been too much bullshit happening in this match that has gone Villa's way. I mean, Peter Banks might as well have been wearing a fucking Villa jersey. Like this was this was next level shithousery that we had to put up with. Uh, by the end of the match, there was I think somebody had posted on Twitter that twenty free kicks were given to Aston Villa in that game. Twenty. That is absolutely astronomical, especially for the style of play and the fact that I mean, even on our end, I didn't feel like we were outrageously aggressive or any more aggressive than we had been with any any other team. And it is astonishing to me that a team like Villa, that I would never put in the upper echelons of your, your Arsenals, your Man Cities, your Tottenhams, but yet they were falling and diving as though that was going to be the only saving grace for them in this game. And ultimately, it, it proved to be the case because the penalty, they hit the crossbar. VAR comes to the rescue and chalks off the second goal. I mean, even the first goal with Jack Grealish, I think if Ogbonna doesn't get a foot in the way, I think that ball goes right to Fabianski. And Fabianski was having an absolute uh, outing on that game, man. Like that, the 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 little breakaway uh, uh, 1-2 pass and I think it was Ali Watkins goes to try to just tap it past him and somehow Lucas Fabianski gets in the way and is able to tip the ball out of there. I just I was I was incredibly impressed with his performance and I almost feel like we even though we probably were outplayed a little bit by Villa, I almost feel like Fab did deserve the clean sheet because I think he was busting his ass uh, back there to keep us in play. Uh, I think it was just a bad, uh, you know, unlucky bounce, and that's what what went in the back of the net. But I, I I thought, as you said, justice was absolutely served. And 
if anything, like I've really been drinking up the villains' tears on Twitter as they all moan and bitch and cry and try to talk about how Jack Grealish is so amazing and he's not diving. It's just that everybody follows him, even though the video proof shows him grabbing the wrong knee and jumping to land on the ground. Like he's not pushed, he's not hit. He shoulder checks Fornals, who goes flying, and as he goes flying, his foot grazes the right knee of Jack Grealish, but Jack grabs the left and drops to the ground because he's a cheating lying cunt. And unfortunately, that is the new way for protection of these so-called high-profile players. But honestly, fuck them all the way to the grave. <laughs> some some stern, stern words there from Liam Bright. Uh, really, when... When it went to VAR, I'm not going to lie. I knew they were going to count it. I knew they were going to count it. I'm a pessimistic fan. Um, <laughs> I always think the worst thing's going to happen. And when it got disallowed, I remember thinking, okay, now we just need to see the game out, which West Ham United did. But the one thing I am going to say that you have brought up is that was absolutely huge was Lucas Fabianski is back. He got injured. His form was a little rough there towards the end of um, last season. Um, but this season he's been a stonewall and I've said it before. If Lucas Fabianski was, was of age in 1941, Germany never makes it into Poland. Let's be honest. <laughs> or not. They never make it into Poland. World war two never begins because they can't get past Lucas Fabianski. And so it, it's just, it's a situation that I'm glad he was born when he is. And I'm glad he's wearing a West Ham shirt. And I'm glad that he is the one that's stopping the bullshit from going in. Um, Really, right now, West Ham United, I agree. I think they were outplayed by Villa. I'm going to say Villa was the better team that day. But I think we're the better team overall. And I think when you get outplayed, good teams find ways to win ugly games. And we did. We did the same thing against Fulham. And And Sheffield. And for the most part, the same thing against Sheffield. So... We haven't played our best in three weeks and we have nine points. I think that is, (laughs) I think we have to look at that situation and say, even West Ham right now playing at 70% is better than a lot of the teams they go up against. Now, we have to talk about this, Liam, because you know that, I mean, you were sitting here with me and you understand the shock and awe that I was in substitutions were made with players having the ability to come on and actually impact the game. We had halftime adjustments being made by David Moyes. The one thing I said in order for me to get on his bandwagon, these, this was the one major thing I needed to see. So how, let me ask you this question before I go into my rant on this. Those substitutions, do they prove to you that David Moyes now has his thumb directly on the pulse of this team and can understand and anticipate what they need? Dude, absolutely. And the best part was that he did it not just from the idea of like, oh, I'm going to save Mikel Antonio. I don't want to overwork him his first game back from injury, right? But giving more minutes to Saeed Ben Rama, which absolutely needed to happen, but then also implementing a tactical change, understanding that his three five, you know, his three four three worked, but that Villa was overrunning us for a majority of that second half, and basically tactically changing it to a four three three, which 
was super fucking smart and it absolutely paid off. And I'll be honest, my concern was definitely that Cresswell would get overrun quite a bit once being transitioned to a full-on left back as opposed to the left center back that he's found so much success with this season. Uh, but I absolutely loved it. I thought the formation changed worked. Um, obviously, it paid off dividends within a minute of starting that second half. Uh, I think I think Moyes finally has a plan B which we've talked about on this show, him not fully knowing, one, who his best starting 11 was, and then two, having a plan B when things weren't going his way. And with this game, he not only showed that he knows who his starting 11 is, which I think we'll talk about later in this match or in this uh, in this show, but then he also understood that when things aren't working or when another team has kind of figured out how to get around that formation, that he can make a tactical shift and still win the game. I mean, we've said this before, man. Last year, a year before that, even Moise's first uh, stint, we probably don't win this game. Like, not even that we get out of there with one point. We probably get out of there with no points. So the fact that he not only was able to get any points, but actually get a win out of it, speaks volumes, man. I, I think he's got it figured out. I mean, I, I'm Moise in, dude. I I got I to gotta tell you, I am the... For... Nine episodes on this show and a mystery 10th episode that we lost last week. And I would have done it last <laughs> week too. I have done nothing but bitch about David Moyes and substitutions. That has been, I have planted my flag there. I have, that is text territory. If I will, if you're going to talk to me about David Moyes, you know, I'm going to bring up substitutions and how poor they've been. The fact that he made halftime adjustments, and I did not agree with taking off Mikel Antonio because I believe that he is clearly our most threatening player. But Villa had Mikel Antonio in, in his pocket. Like they, they weren't allowing him to do what we're able to see. Now, Sebastian Haller, we've talked about it a million times. He always looks disinterested, but he scores a goal. Um, and now there's a different feel with him. And he gets in this game, and it's funny because that that cross-in from Ben Harama, it was heading towards Allaire. Just <laughs> Jared Bowen happened to cut in right there and put in a beautiful flick. And I'm not saying that Allaire wouldn't have scored. He probably wouldn't have because I don't think he's very good. But <laughs> the fact is he was going to be in position with an opportunity to put something in on, on frame. And right now, when I'm looking at this situation, I don't know what I can complain about with David Moyes. The GS, yeah. the GSB out is calmed down. The David Moyes, what are we doing, is calmed down. And what winning is the best deodorant. It covers up a lot of that foulness that we were seeing and smelling around the club after that Newcastle loss. I remember sitting on this show telling you, you know, dark times ahead. We have to start preparing for what could be. And after saying that, if you take the Newcastle game away, our losses are to Arsenal, who at the time we lost to them were on form. They were playing very well. Now, granted, right now, if we got up against Arsenal, I think we actually get something out of that game, even though yep. we should have gotten something out against them the last time we played them. And our other losses to the defending champion, Liverpool. And in that Liverpool game, a, a horrendously awful uh, penalty call for Mohamed Salah that, you know, Mohamed Salah and Jack Grealish, I think, are kindred spirits. I really, oh, yeah. I really believe that. And so when I look at this situation, I have to tell you, 
Liam, I don't know what I'm going to complain about with David Moyes. I'm going to have to figure out something by the end of the show. I'm going to. Because right now, I don't know what I can complain about. And because there's nothing to say about David Moyes, because he teamed to push all the right buttons to get West Ham United to win that game, even though it was a little bit of luck, we have to admit, a little bit of luck because they had two opportunities where they, you know, they had a penalty and they scored a goal. And we had a guy miss and hit the woodwork, and we had VAR correct uh, correct a call. So I look at those situations and I go, he got a little bit of luck, and I'm not going to ignore that. But outside of that, he pushed a lot of the right buttons in that game. Um, I think that he was out. I will be honest, he was outmanaged by Dean Smith in that game. Dean Smith had a better tactical approach to that game, um, but Dean Smith also was practicing the dark arts. And so <laughs> when you're practicing those dark arts, you know, sometimes karma is a motherfucker and it'll, it'll bite you in the ass. So the big story of this game is not David Moyes. It's not his substitutions. It's not the two on one. It, I think it's the poor, poor refereeing that we saw. And I'm going to call it outright, outright blatant cheating. It is a part of the game that is horrendous. You are teaching people to go down to simulate contact in order to give your team an advantage. That is cheating. Like there's no other way to call that. And um, the cheating was so prevalent. It spilled over onto the touchline. The first time Kevin Nolan was getting into it um, with um, somebody from the Aston Villa side. I can't remember. I want to say it was Dean Smith. I want to say it was him. Well, yeah, at first it was, it was Nolan and Dean Smith because Nolan was shouting basically that Jack Grealish was a cheat, was a, was a, a dirty, rotten cheat, but I'm sure he was using other, other words as well. But ultimately it's Dave Billows uh, from West Ham and John Terry that both end up getting oh, the yellow cards. Hold on. Collectively, yeah. can we just say, fuck John Terry? <laughs> <laughs> yep, absolutely. And I, I'm ultimately, man, like, you know, Peter Banks... He hasn't he hasn't been a Premier League referee for very long and you and could it, tell it, you could tell yeah it very much shows and it's it's astounding to me that this is the touted you know most popular league in the world yet we do not have top quality refereeing like Mike Dean fucking sucks Peter Banks has shown himself to not be up to task especially for a match like this he should have been pulling cards for simulation. He should have been more fair in the allocation of fouls because we absolutely were getting nothing at all. Uh, uh, Mings was basically hanging on Allaire's back when there was a cross coming up into the box that absolutely, if you had flipped that and it had been Ogbana on top of Jack Grealish, they would have given a penalty to Jack. But yet, you know, Mings on top of Allaire. Allaire goes down because literally there's somebody hanging on top of his shoulders and we get absolutely nothing out of it. So, I mean, it, and, and I get it. Like, everyone's always going to be biased. I mean, we saw the same kind of responses from Liverpool fans when we were calling Salah as, you know, being the, you know, the part of the, the national diving team. But it's, it's such an issue because I you don't see it from teams that don't have like the the one trick pony right like the 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 teams that really rely on one person to get their 
to to get any action out of them. And as much as I think Ali Ali Watkins is a decent player, everybody knows that Villa has only really found success because of Jack Grealish. It's why they stayed up last year. I mean, he's the one that scores the goal against us to get the equalizer at the end of the season, which allows them to stay up. And I think so far this season, yeah, they've definitely had a really good start. I mean, they put seven past Liverpool, although four of those goals were deflections. But without Jack Grealish on the field, that team is completely different. And you could have said the same thing about us without Mikel Antonio. But really now, as we talked about that second half with Allaire, I didn't feel like that was a drop-off versus how we performed in the first half. I really think that Allaire worked. He was running. He was trying to put pressure on for the ball, trying to get into open positions, pressuring those center backs. And I think ultimately that what it, that's what it was, is that Mings had figured out Antonio, but it, Literally, he just had to drape himself on Alaire. That was the only way he was going to try to get off him. You've seen the clips, right, where Alaire is dribbling on the left-hand touchline and gets past four uh, uh, Aston Villa players before literally the first one or the fourth one slide tackles to take Alaire's feet, feet out from under him, but still didn't even get a piece of the ball. And the the buildup for the play, Alaire is the one that battles in midfield to be able to lay the ball off for Bowen, who then crosses it. Um, to the left-hand side as he feeds the ball to Benarama, who then puts the ball into the box. I mean, Allaire absolutely is instrumental in that second half. I think he he's proven maybe not to get a starting position, but I'm fine with having a tail of two halves. Like, cool, you get to deal with Mikel Antonio for uh, you know 45 minutes, and now you got to deal with Sebastian Allaire. A lot of teams are not going to be able to have a game plan to handle both of those guys. I 100% agree, but you know the big the thing that I want to point out, you know, is the refereeing was absolutely an atrocity in that game. I think the final foul count was 24 to 8. Um, 24 fouls that went in favor of Aston Villa to only eight fouls that went in favor of West Ham United. And so it, it was this – is, this is the thing that really frustrates me about the Premier League. Retroactively, they should be able to go in and punish Jack Grealish for what he did. I they mean, did to um, didn't they do that? That was what happened to uh, Lanzini, right? Yep. It was retroactive. They didn't they didn't give him the match ban right there on the touchline. It was after the FA looked at it and said, "This is simulation." Didn't he get like a three match ban or something like that? Yeah. Um, and it, I don't think it was three matches, but he definitely at least missed a match. But it may have been multiple. Um, my whole point is always going to be Jack Grealish. Um, 100% needs to be punished in some way. I would be perfectly fine, just so you know, if he was given a retroactive yellow card in addition to his yellow card count. Like, yeah. you know, you didn't get one in the game, but we're going to give you one now. So you should have gotten one in that game for doing what you did. Because um, I told you I would have gotten really hot while we were watching the match had they have scored a goal off of one of Jack Grealish's simulations. I would have been incredibly yep. hot. I think another one that needs to be a, a, the most egregious one of all. Now, Jack Grealish's looks the funniest because we have such great video of it. But the one that really is the penalty. The penalty, how do you fall forward when you're being pulled backward? That in of itself should prove it was not a penalty. You know, every every time there's always shirt tugging going on in the box. You could It's just like in the NFL here in America. You can call holding on every play. You know, it's just dependent if you want to do it. Right. Anytime there's a set piece, there's always contact and shirt pulls. And you have to determine as a ref, 
Did that impact the play? Well, the player falling forward not and being beat to the ball by Declan Rice does not warrant you being given a penalty. And that that's where my, my problem comes in. The, the refing was in it an absolute atrocity. And what was funny is during the match, our commentators who were lovely, by the way, I say that (laughs) sarcastically because I know you can't see my face, but our commentators in that match even said at the beginning of the game, Aston Villa weren't going to be happy with the ref because the last three matches that he has refed, they have lost. Well, he did everything in his power to try and help them win. (laughs) And, you know, the stars aligned for West Ham United and we pulled it out and our two moments of brilliance really saved us. Um, I think at one point in the game, this is not a lie, we only had two shots on goal and they both went in. Yep. We only had two shots on goal and they both went in. And that just is comes down to simple execution and doing the right things. And, you know, the good guys won that game. The good guys won that game. Aston Villa, they put on the cape and cowl. Um, they painted their eyes black. They went emo. They're Robert Pattinson fans. And they were <laughs> definitely getting into the whole situation of going, we're going to play this role. And West Ham United, you know, we were wearing the the red cape with the S on our chest, and we were going to, you know, fight for truth, justice, and the European way. And so <laughs> the, the West Ham way. <laughs> yeah, there you go, the West Ham way. And so we end up pulling that game out. But, Liam, in all honesty – I hope some retroactive stuff comes out and I hope Jack Grealish does get punished. The fact that they didn't announce anything today makes me think that they're not going to do anything at all. Cause normally Wednesday is the day where they would announce those things, but it was an absolute atrocity of a ref match. Um, it was an embarrassment um, of application of play by all of Aston Villa um, and Dean Smith, like honestly, dude, you should be disappointed. You should be disappointed that you allowed your players to play that way. And, and I understand that you're going to defend your guys, but I hope behind closed doors you're going to say we're not going to flop around like little cunts anymore. We're going to go yeah. out there and we're going to play our game. And they didn't do that. Um, now, outside of that, I do think we, we've, we've acknowledged the refing. We've acknowledged that David Moyes has done some good things. But we have said – that West Ham United were outplayed for the majority of that game. They did not win the possession. I think it was almost 60-40 in favor of West, of uh, Aston Villa, and it was tough. So I'm going to ask this this question right now, and it's kind of it's an interesting question. But the last three games, we have not played our best, and we have nine points. But should we be a little worried because we are coming up against Manchester United this weekend, who they are the comeback kids in the Premier League right now. They are finding ways to win games late. They have immense quality. They are Manchester United. But I'm really going to ask you this. Should we be worried about what we're seeing, or do we just chalk it up to the fact that, you know, we didn't finish well against Sheffield and Fulham when we were clearly the better team, and against Aston Villa we got a little lucky. So should we be a little bit worried about what we're seeing out of West Ham United right now, Liam? Uh, no, I don't think so because, uh, you know, as much as I do, you know, to some degree you look at a team like Manchester United and you're always going to think, okay, there's there's going to be quality there. There's going to be a lot of, of shit for us to have to deal with. But I, I feel like this season, right, we've turned up against the teams that typically we would, you know, like the big name teams that typically we would struggle with. And we've actually looked really good and or dominant, especially in the Wolves and the Leicester games. And then in the mid to lower table teams, we've eked out wins 
in games that we typically wouldn't get any points from. So being able to beat Fulham, to beat Sheffield, to beat Aston Villa, I think that's that's huge. And I think when you take into consideration a couple things here, right? So we're at home against Man United. This may be the first game of the season that allows fans back in. So they did like a lottery for West Ham season ticket holders, and they're going to allow something like 2,000 fans into the stadium. So we will actually have bodies in seats, uh, which I think will also help amplify the excitement levels and the passion of of the players on the pitch. Um, Just today, Manchester United lost to uh, PSG 3-1 to in in Champions League. And what's interesting about that too is that they had to play down a man for like the last 20 minutes of the match. So they're going to be tired going into Saturday because they just played a game. And then after that, they also have uh, uh, RB Leipzig on Tuesday of next week. So they, they have these other games that, let's be honest, I mean, yeah, they're ninth in the league and they're going to want to gain some points to try to gain the ground to jump back into that top six. But they're probably going to put a heck of a lot more focus on the 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 Champions League matches. So I could definitely see them uh, possibly resting players against us and maybe bringing them on in like the 70, 70, 75th minute. So they probably won't start all of their big name players. So I think this is a perfect opportunity for us to go up several goals early on, uh, especially if we're firing on all four cylinders like we did against Wolves and, and Leicester. But let's be honest, I'm a I'm a fucking armchair analyst, so what the shit do I know? <laughs> what about you, Tex? What's your thoughts? I, I, I got to admit, I'm a little worried. Um, I'm a little worried because um, the consistency is not there. I want to see the team show up and be a consistent performer. Um, and we show flashes. And when we show the flashes, we're really good. We can bang four goals in in a game. Um, very, you know, we have that ability. We also have the ability to play a dirty, muddy game like we did against Aston Villa. Um, and pull out um, and pull out a victory. Um, I I look at our starting eleven and I I like what we have, but I'm a little worried with the consistency. And I don't know. This is the thing that I want to admit. I'm a pessimistic fan. I don't want to sit here and act like I am. You know, always you know jolly good and let's go. Um, I always am looking at the negative side of things. So I'm trying to ask myself: Am I only worried because that's just me? Or are there actual things to worry about that we're seeing? And I do think there are actual things to worry about. I think that West Ham United um, are not playing their best right now. And I think I chalk it up to the fact that Mikel Antonio has been out. When Mikel's yeah. out, we're not very good going forward. And we've, we've found a way to, you know, to produce some goals. Um, but we're not scoring a lot of goals from open play right now and when we do get them from open play their deflections they fall at our feet in the right moment Sebastian Allaire um we got a set piece goal against Villa we did get an open play goal but it was kind of a part open play part um set piece goal if you will because we did get um a little bit of a quick free kick going into that Benarama uh drove down in sending a nice little cross and we got the goal from Bowen so I would like to see more consistency, but I do have to admit I'm a little worried. What's funny, though, is I'm not terribly worried about playing Manchester United. Right. So I don't... Manchester United five years ago struck fear into your heart because it was Man U and what they had. And even if they weren't playing very well, you knew at any moment they could flip the switch because they're going to have world-class players that can go out there and win. So... 
I'm not terribly worried about Manchester United. However, I do think that Man United, it's not a good omen that they lost that game to PSG. I think they'll be a little pissed off. Um, I do understand they played a man down, but this is Man U. They're going to be up for this game, and we're going to be up for this game. There's no way you can tell me that at Rush Green right now, West Ham United aren't walking around with their chests out a little bit. I I just hope that they realize that we're not there yet. You know, it's not like we're sitting at the top of the table four points clear. We're not. Uh, we're in fifth, and we we had a, uh, w- you know, we still are going to be judged by that Newcastle loss. So I really hope that West Ham United are going to be up for this game. But I have to admit, I do have a little bit of worry. But one thing that may ease that worry is this next question here, Liam. For some, one of us, it may ease the worry. For another one, it may give me a whole new set of anxiety. But I'm going to ask this question. With our run of form, if you take the Newcastle game out, West Ham United have overperformed for what they are supposed to be. Um, They've played the big boys well. Their only losses outside of Newcastle to Arsenal and Liverpool, which are understandable if you really break it down. It's understandable, those two losses. So I'm going to ask you this. Should we extend... David Moyes, is it the time that West Ham United's board, because I don't see a lot of GSB out. I don't hear a lot of, uh, we hate David Moyes. I'm not hearing a lot of this anymore. I feel like I'm the only one left that still hates David Moyes. So when I'm looking at this situation, I'm trying to be realistic. Based on what we've seen from the end of last season, when we came back from the pandemic up to this point, West Ham United have only lost four matches. They've only lost four. Is this a time where the board goes, we're going to buy into David Moyes and extend his contract? Or do they do a wait and see and wait to see where we're sitting in the January transfer window? You know, I I think that they go ahead and jump on it now because they they don't want to take the chance that, like, say Moyes goes on a tear, right, for for all of December and we jump up into top four right? Then at that point, he's going to be able to make way more demands or they're going to have to potentially compete against other clubs to come in and go, hey, we'd love to see what David Moyes can do here. You know, like if anything, he's he's helping to rebuild the stock that he lost. Uh, you know, once, uh, basically once uh, he helped Sunderland drop down, you know, ultimately down to two leagues. But it's, you know, I'm I'm very much in favor of David Moyes. I think that he has done uh, an exemplary job, uh, especially on this return. I mean, this is the second time he's kept us up. And then he went into this season against an incredibly tough run of games and absolutely got the got above and beyond the results any of us expected. I mean, nobody would have been looking out of that first stretch of games thinking we were going to walk away with one point, let alone, I think it was, what, eight points that we walked out of at that point? You know, it's, it, it's, it's incredible what he's been able to accomplish. You've seen in the post-match interviews, regardless of who's being interviewed, whether it's Declan Rice or Angel Bana or Lucas Fabianski, everybody is saying the same thing. You know, we're a team. We have the proper mindset. We've got a winning mentality. They're all on the same page, and I owe that completely to David Moyes. The caveat to this is I am still very much GSB out. Uh, I think that David Moyes has been able to do absolute wonders to this team without the full commitment from the board. If they're really going to get behind him, and I really think they should, uh, 
I'd, I'd extend the contract. Absolutely. I mean, I'd say at least a year, if not two, I would do a year and then reevaluate and then potentially be able to extend the contract beyond that. If he's able to continue the run, because let's be honest, we've seen managers come in and have a great first year. And then the second year, they're not able to accomplish it with Slavin Bilic, right? Uh, so we do have to be careful. Let's not, you know, put those bubbles too high into the air. Uh, but ultimately, this does rest completely on the board. One, <laughs> I know you like that one. Uh, one to be able to to keep David Moyes in in uh, uh, you know in in uh, the managerial position for this club, but then also loosen those first strings because we do have some positions of need going into January. So if they really want to commit to signing him for an extension, they also need to commit to backing his players, which we did not see in the summer where it was very much David Moyes versus the board because Sully had his players that he wanted to bring in and David Moyes basically told him, fuck off, I'm not bringing in your shit house players. I want my guys. So if they're going to back him, back him 100%. That's it. <laughs> well, well said. I put a little stamp on it there at the end. I, That's I, it. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. I, I'm going to tell you what I would do, and I'm going to tell you what I think they should do. What I do is I don't, I don't extend him. I don't think he's been consistent enough for us long enough in order for me to extend him. And I know that we're on a good run right now. But like you said, we've seen this. Uh, we've seen this pony show before we have. Um, so I am very hesitant to extend David Moyes and I don't think you do it right now. Here's what I think the board will do. I think they are leaning towards extending him. And let me tell you why I think that they're looking at the situation and they're going, the noise is quieting down. Um, he didn't fight too hard on Ben Harama, even though Ben Harama wasn't his player. And now he's utilizing Ben Harama. So I think for David Gold, who, or excuse me, David Sullivan, who wanted this player, brought him in. Looks like Sullivan did a good enough job of convincing Moyes that he was worth it. Moyes looks like he does rate him. And now Ben Harama's come in and been involved in two goals since he's since he's in his limited amount of playing time, it looks for all intents and purposes right now that this was a phenomenal signing and we're lucky to have gotten him. Um, He was a very sought after player from Brentford out of the championship. And if you look at two of our best signings um, over our past five signings, it's Jared Bowen and Saeed Benarama, both star men in the championship for Hull City and Brentford respectively. And they're both there doing a phenomenal bang up job and David Moyes is utilizing him. So when I see that these transfers are being impactful and David Moyes and the board seem to be able to have worked out this situation to work together, I think they are seriously considering extending him. And I don't know why they wouldn't um, based on what they've seen. The noise is quieted down. You're not hearing the GSB out as much. Even if you're in favor of it, it's really hard to stand on that mountaintop right now because of what's going on. West Ham are sitting in fifth. That is where they are. That is the reality of the situation. How they got there doesn't matter. The reality is they're there, and nobody can take that away from us. So I think that David Moyes should not be extended, but I think he will be. And even though I think he's he shouldn't be Liam, I'm not going to be totally disappointed if he is. Because right. as, as shocking as this is for me to say, David Moyes is doing a great job as of right now. 
He's substituting now, which is the one, my biggest shout that I wanted to see change. But I really, really think that this club doesn't need a big name manager. They need the right manager. And as far as I'm concerned, and as, as troubling it is for me to say, I'm starting to lean in the direction that maybe David Moyes is the right man for the job. Yeah. Well, I think that he, he very much, and you know, we've heard Tim Howard talk about it in a lot of the, 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 um, mid-match, uh, breakdown and then the post-match reviews where, you know, he talks about his time operating under David Moyes and the fact that David Moyes will give people an earful if he doesn't, if he doesn't like the way that you've been performing at, uh, by the time you go into the locker room at halftime, you know, the, the fact that he has his guys, that he wants people that work, that work hard he values um, work ethic over inherent talent. And I think with somebody like Saeed Benrama, like you have somebody that has really good talent. I don't know if I've particularly seen the work rate that I would like to see out of him. I think that um, Masuaku has had a little bit of a downturn these last couple games. I don't think that he's been quite as impactful as he was in the earlier games, especially when you consider uh, how he performed in Leicester and Wolves. I mean, that, those were those were top level matches for both of him or for him for both of those games. Uh, I'm surprised that he didn't leave Masuaku on and pull off for Nals, but I'm guessing it's because there's a lot of redundancy between those players uh, with Benrama and Masawaku. So I do feel like that's probably going to be the trade-off and for Nals will be the one that, because he's a workhorse, he's the one that's going to stay on the pitch. But it's, I don't know, man, like it is hard because I do get what you're saying. Like the noise quiets down when it comes to the GSB out stuff because the, the, the results on the pitch should speak volumes, right? But it's taken us 10 years to get to this point, like we get flashes of this and, you know, I could see it disappearing if we finish out the entire season in fifth, right? Like if by the end, by the, by the time the, the, the last game is, you know, the last whistle blows in May and if we're still sitting in fifth place or better, yeah, absolutely. Then at that point, like, I think, you know, we probably do need to back off quite a bit, but right now it's like, I mean, fuck man, when, when Billich had us, we were in second at one point. You know, I'm like it, the, these results are always p- possible to happen, but as you said, and you spoke to it perfectly, the idea of is it sustainable? Is it consistent? Can Moyes maintain this consistency throughout the rest of the season? And as I said before, this is going to be completely contingent on whether or not GSB opens up the purse spring, its purse strings and allows Moyes to bring in more players that are his guys. If he can finally get the production out of Alaire that he needs to get, perfect. Keep him. That's cool if he's if he's getting the job done. But you still need backup. We still need more strikers. We still need another box-to-box midfielder. We still need uh, uh, reinforcements in defense. And ideally, I, I do think we need at least a third-rate um, keeper that can also challenge Darren Randolph and Lucas Fabianski. Because even though Fabianski is doing phenomenal this season, if he goes down, I do not think that we get this run of games, the success out of this last run of games with Darren Randolph in goal. And that that speaks volumes. Oh, you, you couldn't have said it better. Um, you know, it's just, I think we're both begging out for consistency. If I'm going to extend David Moyes, I want to make it very clear and say it now. I wait until the, the two-thirds of the season has been played to see where we're at. And if we're in the top eight, then I extend him. It's not even a contest. I, I've said this. I said this in our in our very first show this season. Our talent level is top eight. We have players that we can put on the pitch we are a top eight side, and I don't care what anybody says. Where I don't think we're, 
I don't think we have a good enough squad to compete in the Europa League, much less the Champions League. But I do think that we have a squad that's right there. We're a couple players away from being a European contender in the Europa League. I do believe that. Um, I think if we got into the Champions League magically, like if we ended up finding a way into the Champions League, I think it would be pretty rough for us. I'll be 100% honest. But I I do feel that we are very, very close to being a side that can that can really compete and go on a European tour in the Europa League. And I think that is the next step for West Ham United. And I think it's one that David Moyes has us trending in that direction. Um, I do want to talk about something right now because we haven't had the ability to do this in a long time, especially since you and I have started doing the show. This is the first time I'm ever going to be able to say this to you. How fucking good does it feel? We're sitting in fifth place. <laughs> I mean, let, let's talk about this for a minute. Let's be positive. Let's fanboy out a little bit and let's talk about what it means to be sitting in fifth place in the Premier League with the likes of Liverpool, Arsenal, Chelsea, Tottenham, all those motherfuckers, Manchester United, and we're still above the majority of those teams. It's it's insane, man. Like this is one of those things where when it happens, you're almost you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop. But <laughs> I, you know what I mean? Like you you just know something else is going to go fucking wrong. But like think about it, you know, Antonio was back for this more this recent match, but he only played half of the match. So, he's played 45 minutes out of the last 3 games. And we were still able to win. And you and I going into those matches were like, man, I don't think we get any points out of these without Mikel Antonio. Like he is that workhorse up at the top that we absolutely need. But it's kind of shown that, God, man, this these are the guys that can get the job done. Like they band together. They figure it out. Um, I want to say one of the announcers was saying with Ogbonna scoring that header, he's like the ninth player for West Ham to score this season. Think about that for a minute. Like, you look at most other teams, they might have, you know, a center back that scores a header. They probably have an attacking midfielder and then they have their strikers, right? Like, those are the, your typical one. Like, we've got everybody fucking getting the ball in the back of the net. And that, that to me shows why this, this squad is so much more lethal than I think a lot of people are giving us credit for. You keep hearing these rumblings of like, oh, West Ham's a dark horse, West Ham's a dark horse. Because they they do fully understand, like, shit, man, these goals can come from anywhere. And majority of the teams have not really fully figured us out. I would say this more this recent game with Villa, because we were on the back foot for a good amount, yeah, they probably had us a little bit figured out, but Moyes showed he's going to give them a masterclass going into that second half when he's like, hey, two substitutions, formation change, goal in a minute. Like, that, that's fucking amazing. But it's it speaks to what Moyes has been able to do. It speaks to the heart and soul of this squad. And, dude, I'm just, I'm on, I'm over the hills right now with fucking being in fifth place. But what about you, man? Like, I know you've been jerking off, like, every day since that game. So, I mean, you've got to be chafed raw at this point. Let's just say Pornhub doesn't do it for me anymore. Um, <laughs> but I, I'm going to I'm gonna tell you right now, I, I'm looking at the table currently. Tottenham is sitting at the top. Um, you know, the Scheidhart Lane boys are sitting at the top. They have uh, 21 points. They're actually on the same amount of points as Liverpool, but because of goal differential, they're in first. Well, we drew with them 3-3, and it only yep. took us 10 minutes to show, hey, we're as good as you. We'll let you have – we'll let you dominate the first 80 minutes. No problem. You can have those, 
but all we need is 10 to play with you. Um, we lost to Liverpool. We've talked about that. If Salah is not a bitch, then we maybe get a point out of that game. Last time we were on the uh, pitch with Chelsea, we beat them. So we know that. And we destroyed Leicester uh, 3-0. So that, those, that's what's sitting in front of us. Is there anybody in front of us that we really are afraid of? Like, I'm, I'm really curious. Like, Liverpool is the only one that you go, huh, they're scary. But at the same time, you go, but we played pretty well against them, and we should have got something out of it if it wasn't for, you know, a dive. I mean, that's yep. that's what you say. If it wasn't for a dive. And then you look at the teams behind West Ham United, and the only team I really fear is Everton. Everton is the <laughs> only one that I kind of fear in that situation, and Everton are on some very poor form right now. They're losing games right now. So that whole run that they had at the beginning where they might be the best team in the Prem, I think they've lost three of their last four. <laughs> and so they haven't been able to really maintain it, whereas West Ham United are trending in a different direction. And it may not be pretty. We may not play the most beautiful football in the world. And we may park the bus against Aston Villa. I totally get it. Um, when nothing's going your way, might as well park the bus because every time you try to go forward, they're calling a foul. So you do what you have to do, but right now West Ham United sitting in fifth. Oh, the bragging rights in five five nine FC right now are just beautiful. I mean, <laughs> absolutely beautiful. Because even when my Chelsea friends start to talk shit and go, "Oh, you guys are having a good run," I go, "Well, we beat you twice last year, so remember that." And yeah. so, if there's one team that West Ham United are supremely confident against, it's you. Even if we yeah. go to the bridge, we're going to Aaron Cresswell will get us that win. Don't you worry. <laughs> He'll be the 10th person to score this season. We'll be good. We'll be we'll be fucking good with. It. Yeah, honestly like you like you said, you look at Leicester's in 4th, not afraid of them. Chelsea, they're a fucking joke. The 19th of December can't come soon enough. Uh Liverpool, I think on on a different day, we absolutely take points from that game. And we already know that Tottenham will fuck it up because that's what they do best. So even if they are sitting at the top, they're not going to fucking stay there. And I would love it to be us that dethrones them. Uh, it's all I fucking want, dude. Like, I just want it to be when they get knocked off the top of the table, that's because of us. Like, <laughs> oh, I just can't fucking wait. I cannot wait. Uh, it's, I, it is it's so awesome. And I understand all of you don't make any comments. I know we have a game in hand on some of these teams. I understand that. I know that we are we have played one game more than a lot of the teams in the table right now, and I understand that. But nonetheless, you got to be proud of West Ham United and what they've accomplished, and even David Moyes um, and what he's done. But now David Moyes, I believe, is in a predicament. And we're going to discuss this before we go into our match preview against Manchester United because there may be some different answers here. After watching what happened with the substitutions um, and the way it changed a little bit of the game for us against Aston Villa, who is our best starting 11? I think we need to ask that question. Who is our best starting 11? And I'm going to turn it over to you, Liam, because I'm going to kind of play off whatever you say. But who do you think is our best 11? Not who you would start against Manchester United. If you had one team to put out to play one game for West Ham United with our current squad, who do you play? I, I Honest to God, I play the starting lineup that we had for this last game. I play Fabianski in goal, a back line of Sufal, Balbuena, Agbana, Cresswell, and Masuaku, Bowen, Suchek, Rice, and Fernals in the middle, and Antonio at top. I, I legitimately feel like that is the go-to team. Um, I love what Ben Rama and Alaire were able to do off the bench, 
And for right now, I, I'll continue to to want them to come in off the bench. Well, it doesn't have to be at halftime. You want to sub them in at like the 60th minute, 70th minute, maybe at the latest. So that way they still have enough time to get going. Uh, I'm I'm totally fine with that. But to me, man, there's still something about that, that, that lineup, that starting 11 that just, it works. It, it ticks all the boxes for me. They have the work rate. They have the passion. They have the goals, as we've seen with Bowen, Antonio, and, you know, Fortinals, and now even Suchek. Um, really just Rice is the only one that I need to get on the scoreboard at that point. If, if Rice can get on the scoreboard uh, and we could see goals from Masaraku and Sufal, like that's literally all, everybody scoring a goal except for Fabianski. And it's only a matter of time where he pulls a Tim Howard, where he boots the ball, the wind takes it, and it has that lucky bounce and goes in the back of the net. I mean, <laughs> if, if Tim Howard could fucking do it, you better believe that Lucas Fabianski can do it. But what about you, man? Do you go with that same lineup or do you make some... Uh, some uh, some new additions. I I've got some additions. I think our best eleven is is not. Uh, I don't think Moyes is going to do it yet, but I think we can see the writing on the wall. Um, I I agree with you. I think from our our midfield back, we're we're pretty solid. I like our back three. Um, what you said, I like Cresswell, Agbana, and Balbuena as our back three, I think Balbuena has reinvented himself and I think he's playing very well. Fabianski, we've already spoken at length about what he's doing right now. Um, I love our wingbacks in Sufal and Masawaku. I think they absolutely um, have transcended or they've transitioned this team into where we're at right now. Uh, Sufal is going to end up being one of our better signings, even though he's not flashy. He's just been the right player. He's not the yeah. best player. He was the right player to bring in. Um, Suchek is a revelation. Uh, the fact that we got him and nobody else knew about him, I feel like <laughs> Suchek would be great in any side that he plays in. And he's just a very, very good player. We've spoken at nauseum about what Declan Rice means to this team and how he's transitioning into the new Mark Noble. Um, and he's he's I, I look, I love Mark, but he's a better Mark. He really yeah. is a better Mark Noble. Now, this is where my changes would kind of be different because there's three players left for me to put on the pitch, and this is where I think I'm different. I honestly believe in my heart that Mikhail Antonio is our best striker, so I do put him up top. But these are where my changes come in. I don't put Pablo Fornals on the pitch. Um, I don't. And after watching what Ben Harama has done, and you know how I feel about Lanzini, and I and Bowen has been dangerous. And this I'm going to get a bunch of stick for saying this, but I think Lanzini and Ben Harama are the next two players I put on over Jared Bowen, who is on a tear right now and playing incredibly well. And you know that I don't think Fornells is good enough. I just don't think he's good enough. I think he works hard enough, but I don't think he's good enough. And after seeing what I saw to Ben Harama and seeing what I know Lanzini is capable of, like I'm telling you right now, Lanzini, Ben Harama, and Antonio, that going forward, they're an amoeba. Any one of them can get into the middle. Any one of them can play out on the wing. And I just think they're dangerous. They're so dangerous what they can do. And um, that would be my best 11. Fair play. And I think it, it, it is tough because I do, you know, I, I do love the Thunder Cunt goal that, that, uh, <laughs> that Lanzini had, uh, you know, you, you'll never be able to take that away from him. That's, that's, that was a stroke of absolute brilliance. Um, and I, I, you know, I think with, uh, Ben Rama, it is tough, right? Because he's been on the pitch twice, really, <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, 
with uh, with with any viable minutes to actually to play, and he's had assists both times. Like that's that's huge. That's that's massive to to be able to do that against. Um, was it, I think that was the Fulham game where he squares it to to Suchak who knocks it in, and then obviously this last one, the nice little chip over the top, and and Bowen gets on it. But that's why I probably keep Bowen in there because just in that game he had a goal and an assist, right? So he scores the or he he takes the corner. So Agbana can knock it in, which, you know, fair play to him, right? Because we've got other people that can take the that, that could take the set pieces, that could take the corner kicks, like Aaron Cresswell, but for Bowen to still be able to put that type of a cross in and uh, to allow Ogbana to be able to peel away from the defense and and knock it in, like that's that's huge. That's an assist is still an assist. So for me, as much as I think that Lanzini uh deserves to be featured on the team, I still don't think I start him. And I think ultimately that's that's still what it comes out to. If I'm still picking a starting lineup, Fernals and Benarama, I I I feel like that's fairly interchangeable. You're going to get different um, tactics from both. I would like to see Benarama from the beginning to see what he can do from the start of the game because once you bring Fornals in, you know that the dumbass will run himself ragged for the remainder of the match. That's just who he is. But I do think Bowen has to start. Um, but I'd say probably pull him off about the 70th minute, and I'd love to see Lanzini get brought in at that point. Or if you're really trying to push the dual strikers, when you pull off Bowen, you put in Allaire, and you keep Antonio on the pitch so you have the two-pronged attack. Oh, you're shaking your head no, like the no. like the dip like oh. the dipshit that you are. <laughs> so go ahead, regale me with your idiocy for why that's not well, no, gonna work. No, I I don't think look. <laughs> I said, I said this, our best 11, and that's what I think our best 11 is. But I did caveat and say, I'm not saying that's who I would start against Manchester United. I was yeah. talking about our best 11 because you are correct. Jared Bowen, 100% deserves to start and he will start against Manchester United because he's oh, done yeah. absolutely nothing. I look at the talent level of the players and I think Lanzini is a better player than Jared Bowen. And I think Ben Harama is a better player than Pablo Fornals. Um, I do not rate Sebastian Allaire at all. Yeah. So that's yeah. why I shake my head is because anytime his name gets brought up, I don't want him on the pitch. I'm really hoping we sell him in January. Like that's my goal. Even though I know we can't because we can't sell a player that we're going to have to take um, like a $25 million loss on. Like yeah. it's just not going to happen. But that brings us to now the part that I want to get into here, which is our match preview time for Manchester United, because we are pushing up against the clock, and we know that you guys don't like listening to us more than an hour. So <laughs> here's the deal. We're, we're playing Manchester United this weekend in what is most likely the biggest game of the year for West Ham United, because it's an opportunity to really cement their fifth place uh, ranking right now. If if we get something out of the game, I think that people are really going to start to say, okay, man, maybe this West Ham United team is for real. So Aston Villa was a big game for West Ham fans. This is a massive game for everybody else who's saying, how the hell is West Ham in fifth? This is for the non-West Ham fan for us to gain that respect from them. So we're going to start off right here. We know what we're doing against Manchester United. We get them at our house at the London Stadium, which is massive. For the first time, they're going to allow up to 2,000 fans into this game. So I'm sure there is a mad scramble going on in East London to find a way to get a ticket right now. But here's my question, Liam. As you always do, you do a great job. Who is your starting lineup for Manchester United? 
Uh, I stay with exactly what I just said. So I, I'm still going to run out the exact same starting 11 that we featured against um, uh, Villa. Aston Villa. Yeah, Villa in this most recent match. I think that's the go-to. You know, the substitutions will probably stay the same. That we'll see uh, Alaire, we'll see Ben Rama, and then depending on if we're trying to see out the remainder of it, you'll probably see Mark Noble feature towards the end of it. If we're really pushing for the, the additional goal, then I think Lanzini gets brought on instead. How about you? I agree. I make one change. I pull off Pablo Fornells. No surprise. I've, I've been saying that for weeks. And I, I start Ben Harama. I think Ben Harama has earned it now. Um, but I, I start Mikhail Antonio up top, Jared Bowen on the right. Um, like I said earlier, I don't believe Bowen is in our best 11, but I do think Bowen right now um, has done absolutely nothing at all. Bowen is my number 12 player. Let me say that. He's not yeah. in my my 11, but he's the next guy. So I don't want people to think that I think he sucks. I think he's absolutely brilliant. Um, I just don't think he has the creativity and the vision that Ma- that Manuel Lanzini does. So right there, I'm going to tell you that I, I the only change I make is I bring in Ben Harama. Um, so looking at those starting lineups, obviously Manchester United, we know what they bring to the table. They're coming off a loss in the Champions League. Uh, to PSG, which let's be honest, PSG is loaded, so it's no shock that they lost that game. Um, who, where do your goals come from in this game? How do you have this game fallen? Um, just as a double fuck you uh, on your talking about Bowen and Fernals, I'm going to say each of them finds the back of the net, and then even more to piss you off, they actually assist each other in the goals. So that way it's like even worse that you're like, oh man, I got to keep shitting on these guys even though they proved me wrong week in and week out. Oh, how dare I? Uh, and then I think that man of the match actually goes to Pablo Fornals. So that way, like, you actually have to eat the entire crow, not just the fucking feet. Um, what about you, man? Uh, oh, man, how do you follow that? Uh, I'm going to be <laughs> I'm gonna be honest. I, as everybody knows, I'm a pessimistic fan. Um, I think Mikel Antonio is going to get his feet under him. I think he gets a goal in this game. Um, I think West Ham United, believe it or not, are going to play a high-scoring game. And I think it's going to finish 2-2. I have a draw. Uh, in this one, I got goals coming from Mikhail Antonio, and I don't know why this guy is sticking out in my head as a big game guy, but I think Aaron Cresswell is going to get one, maybe off Ooh. a free kick, maybe off um, a beautiful run of play. But Aaron Cresswell is just, I feel like he's begging for a goal right now. And for some reason in these big games, Cresswell shows up. And yep. um, I think he's going to get one. So I've got Mikhail Antonio and Aaron Cresswell. I've got a 2-2 finish, but I do think we're winning late. And I think Manchester United gets a late equalizer. I don't think Manchester United will miss an equalizer like Aston Villa does. So that right there is what, what I say. Uh, my man of the match, however, is going to go to Mikhail Antonio. I think Mikhail Antonio is going to reestablish himself as our best striker um, I think it pissed him off um, because we we know Mikael, um, in a sense of like we we kind of see you know he he likes himself, he does, and oh, yeah. I think when you get pulled off, that's going to make you work that much harder the next time you're on, and I think we're going to get a great version of him against Manchester United, and I got him being our man of the match. So now it's time for everybody's favorite. Um, Favorite part of the show, as you know, I predicted a two-two draw. Do you have a, a two-one win or was it a two-zero win? Oh, two-zero. I think we get oh, the clean shit. sheet. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think we get the clean sheet. If, uh, but I, I will say this: if they do score a goal 
and we're 2-1, then I agree with you. I think Cresswell gets the third just to put a stamp on it. Like, guess what, Man United? I'm Aaron fucking Cresswell, and I wear a magic hat. <laughs> I, just, I would fucking love it. Um, all right, it's time for the yellow card and red card. Uh, hit me with your yellow card. So yellow card is definitely going to go to the shitty, shitty refereeing that we had to deal with this Aston Villa game. And I do not think that's an indicative of just this single game. I think so far this season and in previous seasons, we've seen them suffer um, game in and game out, especially when it comes to showing unbridled favoritism uh, to, to, to top six teams. Obviously, I would not include Aston Villa. This was an outlier. I have no idea why they were getting all the calls that they were, other than the fact that uh, I'm surprised that the ref could even blow the whistle because he had Jack Grealish's dick in his mouth for the entirety of the game. So, um, but that's what I've got. What do you got for a yellow card? Oh, 100% goes to the match announcers on NBC as we were watching the game. Um, you you can clearly see what's going on. It is your job to call that out, and yet they were not. Um, I'm even on the Jack Grealish simulation. Wrong knee, go down. Um, they even were like, oh, he must have got clipped, and they didn't say anything. I'm, I'm just upset that we did not get defended by the announcers, and it seemed as if those announcers were defending every single call the referee was making. That's an atrocity. That's not your job. I majored in broadcast journalism. You can fuck off because I know what you're supposed to do. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was bad. It was real bad, and that's why that announcer, you don't hear him very often, and that's why you get a Monday – afternoon match when nobody is really going to watch and listen to you other than hardcore West Ham fans like myself and you, Liam. Uh, so right. hit, hit me with your red card. Ooh, the red card is definitely going to go to the diver apologists that are popping up all over fucking Twitter. I'm sick to death of these idiots. And now they're trying to bring up like Paulo DeCanio and be like, oh, well, you guys are big fans of Paulo and he used to dive all the time. And you're like, yeah, but... He also fucking scored a shit ton of goals. And then they'll try to go, oh, well, Julian Dix uh, was, you know, super aggressive and he would hurt players and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, but you're also talking about players that played for West Ham 20 years ago. It was a very different, more physical game than what we have now. The, the, these top players are protected like fucking crazy and it, the shit needs to stop. So I think that, like you said, the, the announcers absolutely have to call it out. The FA has to come back in and they need to start issuing retroactive yellow and red cards because it's the only way to knock this shit out of the league. It is never going to stop unless people continue to call it out when it happens. Beautifully said. Couldn't agree with you more. My red card goes to, surprise, surprise, David Moyes yet again. <laughs> why? Because it's working, Liam. That's why. Here's my reason for giving him a red card. I'm upset that you substituted too early. <laughs> Even though it worked. I've got nothing. I, I Look. If you have, if you're a longtime listener, you know I'm going to give my red card to David Moyes. It is literally because we're on a good run of form, um, and I, I have to give him the red card. I got to keep the juju going here. So uh, honestly, David Moyes, yeah, I, even though I know you don't listen, I just know that I'm giving you the red card because you substituted too early. You didn't substitute the way I wanted you to. I got to be that finicky um, fan right now. That's all I can do. That's all I can do. <laughs> nice. Uh, I, I like it. And, and I can attest because I was in the room with you when the substitution you made. You were like, what the fuck is he doing? You're like, I mean, thank God he's making substitutions finally. But at halftime, what the fuck? Why would you pull off a calendar? Like you going on your little rant. And, I'm, and then the goal is scored and you're going, holy shit, it worked. Like, I just, <laughs> it was like it was completely different levels. I loved it. 
Oh, man. Well, this brings us to the end of our show. want to let you know that, as always, if you're ever feeling lonely, down, uh, possibly considering making a decision that's not a healthy one, uh, please understand that if you're here in the United States of America, you can hit 1-800-273-8255. That number again is 1-800-273-8255. That is a National Suicide Prevention Lifeline. Um, and also know if you're listening to the show and you don't really want to give that number a call and you would like to chat with myself or Liam, by all means, shoot us a message. We are here for you. Just understand if you are overseas, there's a little bit of an eight-hour difference. So at least uh, give us eight hours to respond to you because it will be pretty late uh, at certain times. Um, Liam, do you have the number for overseas? Oh, I don't, but I can grab it. So hold on here. This is, uh, if we had elevator music, we'd play this for you right now. But, or the Jeopardy music. Yeah. just This is a very important thing for the Fresno Irons. Um, if you don't know, we lost one of our uh, beloved founders of the Fresno Irons here in Fresno, California, um, uh, affectionately known as the Godfather. Steve, we love you forever. Um, we miss you every single day. Um, we lost somebody to their demons. Understand that your demons, you don't have to fight those things on your own. That's why you have family. That's why you have friends. That's why you are part of the West Ham family. So please understand that we all are here for you any way, shape, or form. So it's the Samarit- Samaritans UK, and the hotline is uh, plus 44, uh, 8457 uh, so you can you can give them a call. Um, like we said, if you're not comfortable talking to us or if you don't feel like you have anyone else to talk to, uh, Samaritans is always uh, uh, available and open. Um, if you are uh, not feeling like they're the connection that you quite have and you want to talk to fellow West Ham supporters that you know are depressed but can also, you know, turn on some charm, turn on some excitement, uh, by all means, absolutely reach out to Tex or myself on social media. That brings us to the end of the show here. We've got a big match this Saturday. It starts at 9.30 a.m. out here on the left coast. That means it's a 12.30 p.m. start out there on the east coast. And over there in Jolly Ole, I believe the game starts at 5.30 their time, I believe. So it must be nice. 5.30, um, it'll be uh, kind of nice for us out here on the West Coast. We don't have to wake up so damn early. But if you find <laughs> yourself here in the Central Valley of California in a little quiet, sleepy town known as Fresno, uh, make sure you reach out to the Fresno Irons. Uh, we'd love to see you, love to meet you. Anybody that wears the Claret Blue is always welcome at a Fresno Irons watch party. Please reach out for directions, as this week we will be at the Skull House. Um, so please make sure that you uh, come on through if you're in the area and obviously wear your mask because, you know, we do our best to respect the coronavirus. It's one billionth our size. It's been kicking our ass for a while. So I guess it's earned our respect. Um, at the end of the day, thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Tim and Lee for providing us this platform with American Hammers Radio in order to give our takes on our favorite club, West Ham United. For Liam, I am Tex of the Fresno Irons. We want to say thank you for listening. And as always, come, come on, on, you Irons. irons.